continue a series that we started last week entitled Off the Chain. Last week we talked about this, this idea of spiritual breakthrough and, and, and that God wants to bring restoration power into your life, that he wants to bring victory into your day, that he wants to bring restoration and reconciliation in relationships, that he wants to bring healing, that he wants to bring a victory, that he wants to bring provision. That's what God does. Um, God is faithful. We also talked about the fact that it's real easy for us to live our lives three feet short. And much like R.U. Darby stopping three feet short of the largest vein of gold in all of the Alaskan gold, Alaskan gold rush, it's easy for us to stop three feet short of God's promise. And it is, it is the heart of God, it's the desire of God that his children live in victory. He wants you to do that. Amen? So I, I want to, on that same vein, I, I want to talk to you this week on the subject of, of moving from pain to promise. Moving from pain to promise. And here's the reason why. Because I'm convinced that short-term pain keeps us from experiencing the promises of God. And what pain also does is this. Pain silences our voice. Pain tends to mute our praise. And yet... Oftentimes, it's in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, in the midst of the most difficult situations, uh, that we see God's hand most evident. I want you to turn to the 55th Psalm. Uh, Psalm 55, and, and, and what I want to do is this, is I want to I set up the story for you. Uh, when, when Jody and I were... Uh, newly married and, and first starting out in ministry, our first full-time ministry assignment was in Atlantic, Iowa, halfway between Des Moines, Iowa and, and Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, a, 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 a rural community of about, at that time it was just under 10,000 people. And uh, 10,000 people and it was the biggest, biggest city for an hour. And so we were out in the sticks. It was, it was there. It was... Um, you know, you know that it's a, um, you know you're in a small town when there's three places where you can get pizza, right? And so, uh, and, and the best place to eat in town was Van's Chat and Chew. Does that not sound scrumptious? Doesn't it? I mean, if you're, you know, you're going high, I mean, you're, you're high society when you're at Van's Chat and Chew. But there were, there were some people of some means in town. In fact, there was this, um, this couple of the Samuelsons. Scott and Stacy Samuelson. Scott and Stacy Samuelson were they were they were very successful turkey farmers, and uh, she always had on just the the latest in in designer apparel, and in the winter she wore this really fancy fur. She drove a she drove a Mercedes uh, a Mercedes convertible. Uh, and she she looked like she belonged on the cast of the of the of the television show Dallas. And uh, I mean, she just always just, just the picture. And their house, their house, even though they were turkey farmers, they lived in town and their house overlooked the one main golf course there in the area, the, the Atlantic Country Club, is Atlantic, Iowa. And, and their house is this, this large white house, big white pillars, gorgeous, just amazing. And, uh, and the house, during the time that we were there, the house came on the market all of a sudden 
shocking. Uh, not only did it go on the market, it was going to be auctioned off. And I thought, I, I've always wanted to see what this house is like. Now, there's no way on a, on a youth pastor's salary, it's anything that we could even consider uh, to afford. But it was just one of those things that I was curious. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you're curious? And I, I wanted to see that the house was, I mean, you, just, you drive by and you go, that's what the other half lives like. This gorgeous grand piano in the living room and that you could see that was beautifully lit. And, uh, and so um, one of the men in, in the, the church and I, we said, we'd like to go see that house. Well, I, unfortunately, my schedule did not allow me to go see it, but his schedule did. And he called me right afterwards and he said, oh, Ed, the house is, you would not believe it. I said, it's that incredible? And he said, oh, no. He said, it's the exact opposite. He said, this gorgeous, magnificent structure is all a mirage. He said, the only house, the only room in the house that is completed is the living room. That beautiful grand piano is the only significant piece of furniture that they have in the house. He said, the rest of the house, half of the rooms don't even have drywall, they're stud walls. And he said, Ed, they're raising turkeys in the house. The house is filled. The basement is filled. In fact, this magnificent house, they eventually, they had to tear it down because it was so riddled with turkey feces. And, and the Samuelsons were going through such difficulty and they were in such pain. But because of this image that they had presented in the community, they found it impossible to be honest with who they were or where they were. And so they put themselves at arm's reach from anyone responding to the need in their life. And, and much like we live three feet short, we often, in moments of pain, we find ourselves at arm's reach. At arm's reach from one another and at arm's reach from God. And I, I want you to know this, that God wants to step into your day. He wants to step into your moment. And he wants to be God, not just over the promises, but also over the pain. Psalm 55. David writes this at the beginning of Psalm 55. He says this, listen to me, O, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. Can you hear the anguish as he writes these words? David is absolutely beside himself. He is emotionally lost. And he is, he is physically, he is worn out. He has reached the end of his rope. Why? Well, David's family, and, 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 and let, let me say this just as a side note. I'm always amazed when media will portray a biblical story and then go, in essence, off script, go extra biblical. Here's the reason why. Because if you take a little bit of time and you read the Word of God, you will find nothing that compares to the Word of God, not just in the promises and the power of God, but in the story. If you're somebody that you like drama, you'll find it in the Word of God. If you like good comedy, you'll find it in the Word of God. If you like intrigue, you'll find it in the Word of God. If you like soap operas, you will find soap operas in the Word of God. I'm going to illustrate this morning. 
And if you're like me, okay, if you like, uh, if you like, like mob stories, if you like the Godfather, the story that I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you it will compete with the Godfather trilogy. David. David is this incredible young man. He's the youngest of Jesse. David is a good-looking young guy. He, he grows up helping take care of his father's flock. And, and David is just one of those, he's one of those uh, all-around boys. He, he does it all. He hunts, he fishes, he, he, he takes care of his father's flock. If, if animals come and try to attack some of the flock, he'll beat them down. And he's just, he's just one of those guys you're like, dude, that's, I want to be like that guy, right? Even as a young man, David goes up, the, his, his, his country, Israel, they're in battle. The Israelites are in battle against these these guys called the Philistines. And the battle lines have been drawn. And every morning, this giant of a man named Goliath will come out and he'll taunt the army of Israel, asking one of the men from that army to come and fight. And if they can defeat Goliath, all of the Philistines will serve the Israelites. But if Goliath defeats that person, all of the Israelites will have to serve the Philistines. And, and this entire Israelite army, every time Goliath comes down and does this, they quake in fear until this young kid, barely, you could possibly consider him at almost reaching the point of manhood, shows up and goes, what's that guy's deal? And, and David has such an understanding of who he is and such a confidence in who God is. He says this. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, that's, now that might not sound like harsh words to you, but back in that day, uh, he's talking tough. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would come and defy the armies of Israel? David says, I got this, right? Steps down into the valley. This giant of a man looks at him and says, what? Do you think I'm joking? Do you think that I'm a dog that you would send a boy? And he looks at David and he says, come here, you little punk. And he says, little punk, that's, that's the Ed Garvin translation. It should be in there, though. He says, come here. He says, listen, little kid, today I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David goes, no, 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 you don't understand because this isn't about me. It's not me. I'm not the reason that I stand here. See, you have defied the armies of the living God. And because you've defied the armies of the living God today, I want you to come to me because I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, right? Slays Goliath. The nation rejoices, right? David is this wonderful guy. They start singing songs about him. So much so that it makes the king jealous. And the king goes kind of crazy, right? And tries to kill David. Over and over again, tries to kill David. David loves the king. David wants to serve the king. David will play the harp for the king. Oh, by the way, did I mention that David, David including being, being good looking, being a man's man, uh, uh, being able to do all these things outdoorsy, that he was also a musician? Isn't your heart a little bit of flutter? In time, king of Israel, Saul, dies. David is appointed as king. And David lives a good life. Well, on some levels, David lives a good life. Uh, David has eight wives and ten concubines. I don't know, men, how life works for you, but I find this, that one wife is enough, and at times it's more than enough. I love my wife dearly. We've been married for 30 years. I'm just being honest. Confession is good for the soul. 
So David having eight wives, ten concubines, David has children from these various wives. His first son is a, a son named Amnon. And Amnon, he's a good enough guy. He's the son of the king, grows up, you know, living in the kingdom. And, and, uh, and then David has his third son, by a, who's, who's by a different wife, is Absalom. Absalom is David's favorite, okay? And Absalom is Mr. Personality. Everybody loves him. Everybody be, loves to be around him. He's always witty. He's always got great jokes. He's good looking. He has this amazing hair, okay? Now, here's the thing. You laugh. It tells us this in Scripture. It says he has this amazing hair that when he would cut his hair, people would want to buy it because his hair was just so incredible. And it tells us in Scripture that he was the best-looking man in all of Israel. And so he was just, he was all that. He also has a sister. That sister's name is Tamar. Now, if, if, Absalom, is, if Absalom is good-looking, you'd assume that his sister is good-looking as well, right? Okay? She must have looked at least decent because in time, Amnon becomes very infatuated with Tamar, his half-sister. Remember I told you soap opera? Okay, isn't it a little bit creepy? I know, but it's in the, it's in the Bible, I promise you. And so Amnon becomes not just infatuated with Tamar, he becomes obsessed by her. And he tells a friend about it, and a friend concocts with him this scheme that gets he and Tamar alone. And he explains to Tamar the affection that, she had, that he has, and she says, I don't think this is good. And he says, too bad. And he has forcible relation with her. Okay? And then after that gets angry and throws her out. Which doesn't sit well with Absalom. His sister has been violated by their half-brother, Amnon. And he's, he's enraged over this. But Absalom is very bright. And he waits and waits and waits. Two years. Two years goes by. Amnon obviously thinks he's gotten away with it. And Absalom sets up this feast, and he invites everybody to it. David says, I'm not coming. Y'all do your thing, that's fine. You don't need me there. And Absalom says, my father's not going to be there. This is my moment. And, and, and Absalom tells his servants, when Amnon's good and drunk, I want you to attack him and kill him. And that's what he does. Two years after Amnon rapes his half-sister, Absalom's sister, Absalom has his revenge. And Amnon is killed there at that feast. Absalom, knowing this is not going to set well with his father David, he flees. And for three years, he's gone. Finally comes back to the kingdom, but David doesn't want Absalom in his presence. Even though Absalom is his favorite and he loves Absalom, the thought of looking at Absalom, knowing that he's killed Amnon, David can't even look at him. And, and this, this frustrates Absalom. He's like, why did I even come back if I can't be connected to the kingdom? And the more that he thinks about this, the more frustrated he becomes. In fact, at one point, he calls to 
this guy named Joab who is over the armies of Israel. So he, he's like David's general. He wants Joab to come talk to him. Joab won't come talk to him. So Absalom has Joab's fields caught on fire to where Joab would at least come talk to him, which, which is important in the, later in the story. Absalom slowly but surely becomes bitter towards his father. And so what he starts to do is this. He goes to the gates of the city and his people are coming in and they want to bring a complaint to the king for the king to judge a conflict between two people. Absalom will say this, you know what? The king's too busy. He really doesn't care about this stuff anyway. But you know who does care about you? I care about you. And slowly but surely... Absalom wins over the heart of the people. Now remember, he's good looking. He's the best looking man in all of Israel. He's got great charisma, great personality. And the people start saying, you know what, Absalom's a good guy. In fact, David doesn't have time for us, but Absalom has time for us. Absalom probably would be a better king. And, and at the strategic time, Absalom leads a revolt against David. His own son, turns against him and tries to take over the kingdom. And, and, and so much so that David has to flee for his life. And, 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 and in the midst of this, David has uh, several people that are very important to him. And, and one, one person who's of particular importance to him is a gentleman by the name of Ahithopel. Ahithopel was one of David's key advisors one of his most trusted advisors. And he abandons David in this time of crisis and goes and serves Absalom. So David's son has led a rebellion that has caused David to have to flee. David's most trusted advisor has, has, has become a turncoat, a traitor, and he's abandoned David. And now he's going. This, this man that was one of David's key military advisors is now advising David's son who has become his enemy. Do you understand why David is struggling? Do you understand why he's heartbroken? Do you understand why he's troubled? Okay. That's the scenario. And then David writes this. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My, my thoughts trouble me and, and I'm distraught. I'm distraught at the voice of the enemy, at, at the stairs of the wicked, for they bring down suffering upon me and revile me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I, I, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I, I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Confuse the wicked, O Lord. Con confound their speech, for I, I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are, are at work within the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. Listen to this. Psalm fifty-five, twelve. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it's you, 
A man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. That walked with the throng at the house of God while we worshiped together. You are my close friend. You are my trusted advisor. We serve the Lord together. David continues to write, verse 15, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the grave. He's struggling. He's hurting. He's he's betrayed. He's in anguish. He's mad. God, bury my enemies alive. David's not a, he's not a, He's not a harsh man. He's an honorable man. He's a, he's a tender-hearted man, but he is, he is so devastated by what's going on in his life that in the midst of that, he says, God, I, I, I want you to make these people suffer for all that I've gone through, for all that I'm experiencing. Let them go down alive to the grave, for evil finds lodging among them. But I call to the Lord, and he saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned forever, will hear them and afflict them. Men who never change their ways and have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His speech is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days. I love the way this finishes. Right? David starts by saying, O God, hear me. I am in anguish. And he spends this time talking to God. And at the end, what does he say? But as for me, I trust in you. But as for me, I trust in you. Last week we talked about that there are are three tools that God has given us for spiritual breakthrough. Praise, which we've just just done. We've experienced that, that wonderful presence the manifest presence of God when we engage in, in praise to him, fasting, and, 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 and putting ourselves in a place where, we, where we're focused on God. And then prayer. And, and I love the fact that Psalm 55 so wonderfully illustrates that to us. The beginning of David's conversation, listen to my prayer, O oh God, don't ignore my plea, hear me and answer me. My, tr- my, my thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. But how does he end? But as for me, I trust in you. As we look at the story of David, there are, there are four things that we see that, that, we, that we see being uh, vehicles by which pain come into our life or a pathway for, for pain. And the first one is this. These, these, these unhealthy thoughts are a destructive mental attitude. And, and that's where David's at, right? Beginning of Psalm 55. Look at what he says. My thoughts trouble me. My thoughts 
trouble me. And, and when we find ourselves in a time of difficulty, when we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation, when we find ourselves when a relationship has turned, what happens? Our mind runs wild, doesn't it? And we start processing through all these different scenarios. And typically, none of those scenarios that we're processing through in our mind take us to a good place, take us to a healthy place, take us to a solution that is desired. Typically, when our mind runs wild like that, when our thoughts run wild, what we find is this, is that the enemy of our soul, Satan, will leverage that opportunity to place all kinds of unhealthy, unwholesome, ungodly, untrue thoughts in our mind, and we immediately go to worst-case scenario. And that's, that's, where, that's where David's at, right? He, he makes the statement, he says, my Thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught. The terrors of death assail me. Where's David at? David's not just at a place of betrayal by both his son and also his trusted friend. David's at the point where he's freaking out because he's convinced he's done. They're coming to kill him. Forget about everything that's been prophetically spoken over him. Forget about all of the promises that the word of God has offered to him. Forget about what God has individually spoken to David. In the moment, the emotion of the moment, and all of that emotional energy fueling unhealthy thoughts in his mind, David has gone to a very bad place. So bad that he goes this, I'd rather be in the desert than here. Really? I'd rather, I'd rather at this point, the best case scenario I can think about is eking out substance living in the desert He doesn't say, oh God, if I had the ability, I would bring about victory in this moment. God, I wish I were an amazing conqueror to where I could defeat my enemies. That's not where his mind goes, does it? God, I wish I had some superpower that I could smite them all with one hand. That's not where his thought lands. Where does his thought land? I wish I could get out of Dodge. His thoughts have gone that destructive. And isn't it interesting how that can happen so quickly? All it takes is one person speaking a negative comment over us. All it takes is to have, is to have one doctor give us a bad report. All it takes is, is a comment that that business is starting to struggle a little bit. And we find ourselves very quickly in full-on panic. And that's where David's at. His, his destructive mental attitude has got him to the point where he's not just unhealthy, he's, he's kind of freaking out. You ever been there? This week? I, 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 can't, I can't begin to count how many times I found myself at this point where I went, yep, life is horrible, it's all over. Good news is Taco Bell's always hiring. 
And, and here's the thing, they get free uniforms, and if you work over so many hours, you get free food, and so that's not a bad deal. My thoughts troubled me, and I am distraught. My, my heart is in anguish within me. Terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Why? Because coming alongside that destructive mental attitude are some pretty determined enemies. And I don't know how it works for you, but let me tell you how it works in my life. When I find myself under attack, it's usually not from one angle, right? It usually comes at me in waves, and it comes at me from multiple locations, right? Start to feel a little bit sick. Somebody makes a negative comment about me. I have a major issue with my car, so now I'm facing financial stress, I'm facing relational stress, I'm facing physical stress. And then something ridiculous happens in the church and now I'm facing occupational stress. It's rare that I'm dealing with those things one at a time. Why? Because there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Because there's a great advocate, there's also a great adversary. And Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay? The Bible tells us that we're supposed to put on the full armor of God. Why? Because we're engaged in this thing called spiritual warfare. And the enemy does attack. And when the enemy attacks, make no mistake, he's wily. He's crafty. He's creative. Okay? And why would he come at you just one, at, at, at one angle when you can push back and you can push away from that? It would make sense that he would mount a concerted attack from multiple angles, Correct? And, and that's what happens. So it comes at us, a destructive mental attitude combined with determined enemies. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught at the voice of my enemy. David says, there at the beginning of Psalm 55, that's what he says in Psalm 55 too. He says, my thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught at the voice of the enemy. Who is the enemy? The enemy is a disloyal friend. Wow, that's huge. There are few things that are more painful than disloyal friends. And in the midst of that, I, I, I can only imagine how what David is going through breaks the heart of God. And in that moment, the thoughts that God has I love being a parent. But there are times that being a parent is challenging. I, I on the one hand, I, I, would, I would love to protect my children from, from all pain. And yet I know this. I know that in order for them to be what God has called them to be, I, I can't do that. I, I can't, I can't, insulate them and isolate them from every pain. My, uh, my daughter Lauren is, is one of the most precious people in the world to me. She's wondering about her somewhere today. Uh, she, I know she was in the back helping with the, the baptisms. And, um, and something that I don't talk about very often um, but is true 
is the challenge of, of, of being in ministry and the, the, the difficulties that your children face. Uh, and as much as I try to protect my children from that, there's just some of that that I can't protect them from. And, and I know this, that the enemy will try to get to me, and oftentimes he'll try to get to me through my, through my kids. And so um, I've watched my daughter have to endure some things in life that, that some of it is just every kid's going to endure that, and some of it is just a little bit unprecedented because of the fact of, of who she is. And, um, and not so much because of who she is, but because who I am and that she's connected to me, right? Um, because if they can't get to me, the devil can't get to me, he'll try to get to me through my kids. And... Uh, so um, th- there have been moments where my daughter has faced attack and I've said, I'm going to fix this. When Lauren was in kindergarten, we moved from Nebraska to Green Bay, Wisconsin. And we moved there in September. And uh, our friends that are visiting from the Midwest, they will tell you that um, it turns cold, right? Right? And, uh, and so Lauren was five years old, and she still had a smaller bike. She had a strawberry shortcake bike, if anybody remembers those. And so she had a strawberry shortcake bike, and our plan was to get her a nice bike for Christmas. There was no reason to get her one at that point because it was close to the end of the season, right? So we moved into this new neighborhood. It was, it was all new construction homes, and there were these, these girls that lived on the other street. They lived behind us, on an, on, but our, our backyards backed up one another. And one day I'm out there and I overhear this. I overhear these girls making fun of my daughter. Specifically making fun of her because she rides a baby's bike. Oh, really? You're going to make fun of my daughter because she buys a baby's bike? Because she rides a baby's bike? Again, the plan was to wait till Christmas. But I said, uh, no. It's on. I said, Jody, we are going to buy Lauren a bike. And we're not just going to buy Lauren a bike, okay? We're going to buy, Lauren is going to be riding the best bike in the entire neighborhood. Now, typically, that would not be my position. I want you to know this, that I'm not one of those guys that wants to compete and have the nicest thing and the biggest, that's just not me, okay? But mess with my kid? You little bratty girl, mess with my kid with your nasty little huffy bike? Because your bike's no big deal, just because the wheels are a little bit bigger? So I bought my daughter this pink pearl Schwinn bicycle, white tires, all the little, the little basket in the front, the little streamers that came out the side. There was nothing in the neighborhood that compared. <laughs> mess with my child, mess with my family, you're going to see how it goes. There have been other times when we were pastoring in Illinois um, there were a group of girls that started to talk about my daughter. And I, as much as I wanted to, I wanted to kick him out of the church. <laughs> Seriously, you go down the street. You know, don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you on your way out either. I don't care. <laughs> Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I'm a servant of God. But I knew that it was not what I was supposed to do. And as hard as it was to watch my daughter have to endure 
their lies and their wrath and their gossip. I knew that this was a pain that she had to walk through because it was part of the process that God was going to use to develop her into the woman of God that she was called to be. And so as much as a parent, as I wanted to lift her out of that, I just had to pray her and support her through it. And so in this moment when when David cries out to God, oftentimes, friends, when you find yourself in that spot like David's at in Psalm 55, it's easy to think God's not hearing me. Why is not God not doing something? There is never a time that you have pain in your life that it does not pain your heavenly father. Let me say that again. There is never a time that God finds pleasure in you enduring pain. But sometimes the pain is essential in the path to promise. And in that, it, God has to say, I'll give you the strength to go through it, but you're, you're going to go through it. Destructive mental attitudes, determined enemies, disloyal friends. If an enemy were insulting me, I could do it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. When it's somebody that you have been close to that turns against you, you know what's even tougher? When it's someone that you have helped that rails against you. I remember Richard Dorch when he had his issues with PTL. One of the comments that he made in a a moment of transparency. He said one of the biggest surprises to him was the men that had had struggles in ministry when he was a a, a state leader in Illinois that he had shown the most grace to, that they, for some reason, they were the the people that were the most judgmental towards him. And it it, it just, it, it puzzled him. But that's not so uncommon, is it? Sometimes the people that we are the most gracious to, the people that we help out the most, those are the very people that turn against us. And Ahithopel, Ahithopel, David had elevated him to a very important position. He trusted him. He wasn't just an advisor. He was a, a friend to the king. Think about Think about all the opportunity that that gave Ahithopel, right? And yet he would, he would give that up at the very thought of David not being able to continue to, 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 to give to him. He'd give that up in a moment for a different source. No loyalty. And it it devastates David. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from it. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend. 
And again, when we find ourselves in that situation, oftentimes it's really easy to go, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, I'm running away. I'm going to run as fast as my little legs can carry me. And here's what I find, referencing last Sunday, oftentimes we'll run three feet from victory. Why? Because in that moment, because of disloyal friends and determined enemies, our thoughts become very destructive. So what do we do when we find ourselves in that inevitable place? Because I've been in that place. And, and here's what I also know. I know this. Should the Lord tarry and continue to give me days, I'll be in that place again. You know why? Because it's a reality of the world in which we live. So what do I do when I, when I find myself in that spot, when, when, my, when my mind is racing against me and, 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 and friends are turning their back on me and even coming in opposition to me. And enemies are relentless. In my, everything within me is telling me, run away. What do I do? I, I love where David lands in Psalm 55, and I, I love how, how the narrative turns. Here's what I have to do. Here's God's peace plan for you and me. Talk to God. Speak to him. Why? Because he hears you. That's what David says in Psalm 55. He says this, but I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that God hears you. That he's listening. That he cares. I've heard people say, I pray and it's as if the heavens are brass. Just because your mind tells you that, just because you emotionally think that, doesn't mean that it's true. There's never a moment that God shuts his ear to your prayers. So talk to him. He hears you. Here's what the enemy wants to convince you of. The enemy wants to convince you that you've gone too far. That somehow you have so violated the connection with God that he's no longer listening. Here's the hellish lie in that, that somehow the relationship between you and God is dependent upon you. And understand, it's not because of what you do that allows there to be conversation between you and God. It's because of what God has done that allows a conversation to happen between him and you. And when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple, that which separated God and man, it was split. And God's ear is never deaf. And not only is his ear never deaf, his hand is never short. I love what it says just a few verses later in 55, 22. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Cast all your cares to the Lord. So here's the first thing I do. I talk to God because he listens. Speak to him because he listens. Number two, surrender to him because he will sustain you. 
Cast all your cares on him. You know what, God, here's what I know. I know that I don't know. Okay, I'm seriously stuck. It's, it's yours. I love the way the apostle Paul puts it when he says this. Present or give as a present. Present your request to God. Give your stuff to him. Cast all your cares, cast all your anxieties on him. God, I am freaking out. And that's what we see modeled wonderfully, David in Psalm 55. God, I'm freaking out, but I'm giving it to you. I'm being honest to you where I'm at. I'm not using fancy King James English. I'm not trying to impress you with how spiritual I am. I'm telling you I am stuck and this stinks and my friends are horrible and I want them to be buried alive, but God, I'm turning to you. Oftentimes when we're not honest with God, it's because we're not honest with ourselves. And sometimes we just to admit, hey, this is, I'm not in a good place. And God, I need help, seriously, because I'm messed up here. Speak to God, he listens. Surrender to him, he'll sustain you. And the third thing is this, stand on God. Because he's stable. I love the fact that the word of God says that he never changes. Never changes. So he's, he's stable. Ahithopo gives Absalom the perfect strategic counsel to defeat David. David sent another advisor to Absalom under the guise that this advisor was also turning against David. He gives him different counsel. And that's the guy that Absalom follows. A battle ensues in a place called the the woods of Ephraim. The woods of Ephraim. Absalom is riding along on a mule which is, I, I don't understand why he's riding along on a mule because, because uh, it, it just must have been just a situation of the battle because Absalom has a chariot. In fact, it tells us earlier in, 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 the, in this, the, the story in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel where this is recorded, it tells us that, um, that Absalom was such a, a, a star and such a, uh, he, loved, he loved attention that he would ride around on this chariot with 50 men running in front of him announcing that he was coming. In the middle of this battle, he's not on the chariot, he's, he's in the woods of Ephraim, in the Ephraim wood, and he's, he's riding along, okay? Remember that gorgeous hair that I talked about? You know, the people, ooh, he's got such beautiful hair. So he's riding along in the woods, and he's riding through these trees, and his hair gets caught in the tree, right? I'm telling you, see, this is the reason why. Hollywood, you don't have to change this, okay? You don't have to change this. He's riding along. His hair gets caught in the tree. The mule keeps going. He's hanging in the tree by the hair. Joab, remember the guy whose field he burned down? Joab is the commander of David's army. Joab hears that Absalom is hanging by his hair from the tree and has three spears run through him. Absalom is done. David is restored 
to his rightful place on the throne. God had him all along. And the promises that God had made to David, Ithopel could not cause those promises to be null and void. Absalom and his treachery could not cause those things to be null and void. Not even Joab. By the way, as a side note, okay, told you this has all the intrigue, you know, uh, let, let me give you a Godfather-esque moment from Scripture. Joab, several times David as king tells Joab not to do things. And Joab, hot-headed commander, uh, his, his general and his army does things that he's told not to do. David says, listen, I want to win this battle. I don't want my son to be killed. And Joab kills Absalom. Okay, why? I think in large part because Absalom had his field burned down. So David... Years later on his deathbed, says to Solomon, Solomon, listen, when I die, Joab, I want him done. Because of, because he didn't, because of what he did. And so when David dies, Solomon sends Benaiah to kill Joab, and Benaiah takes over as general of the army of Israel. I'm telling you, there's no better soap opera than scripture. And there's no greater truth. We face this pain, and we face this pain because of where our mind takes us, because of the enemies that come against us, because of friends that betray us, because of this desire that fear, this desire to flee that comes upon us. But when that happens, here's what we need to do. We need to talk to God because he hears us. We need to surrender to him because he will sustain us. And then we need to stand on his promises. Why? Because God never changes. I don't know what you walked in here with today. I don't know what fear or frustration is, is influencing your day. And it's possible that you walked, on here, walked in here today and you're at a place where you're on top of the world. And that's a wonderful place to be. It's quite possible that either you or the person sitting right by you, they walked in here today and the world is on top of them. And they're facing this destructive mental attitude, determined enemies, disloyal friends, and the desire to flee. If it's not you, thank God for this season. And recognize that what God did is God brought you here this morning as a, with, to give you a prescription for prevention. If it is you, there are three things I want you to know. You're not alone. Number two, God is aware. Number three, the biblical path that we see, David in Psalm 55, because God never changes, it still works today. How does David start? He starts out honestly with God. God, I'm a mess, I'm in trouble, look at all of this. By the time he gets done praying, what's his disposition? But as for me, I trust in you. And God wants to take you on a path from pain to peace. And it's found in talking to him, surrendering to him, and standing on him. Talking to him, surrendering to him, standing on him. Talking to him, surrendering to him, standing on him.
That's it. He wants you to live a life where you're 